right, everybody. Um, this is podcast number 12. And today's guest is Janet Edwards. I'm very interested to hear her story and learn about the sport that she does in a deeper level. And uh, yeah, we met at the ICP conference like a couple of weeks ago, was it, or something, and we just kind of decided that we should do this conversation. Um, so, Janet, thank you for accepting the offer, and um, just just a little bit, what do you do? So, I mean, I've been training for just over 20 years now. Um, my path started of I have no idea. I had no idea about dogs, but I had a lot of curiosity about their behaviors and training. And my first dog, I kind of did everything wrong, despite trying to do everything right. And, you know, it really struck my interest on how do I fix this, right? I don't want to go to a group class. I want to really understand this. So got into training and that led me into working dogs. And that led me into sport dogs because, you know, you get to the point that you want to be challenged more. You want to learn more. You, I mean, I grew up as an athlete, you know, in sports. So like the competitive nature in me, um, not just to be competing on a field, but be competing to learn more and get better and, and enjoy the challenge of, of that. So that's what drove me into eventually working with working dogs, you know, some of the police dogs, I did a lot of police dogs, handler courses, those types of things. Um, and then started, I got my first dog to raise up, you know, to train up for PSA in 2004. And I've been doing that since, <laughs> um, you know, I still do pet dogs. Um, I have, you know, now I have my business. I started off working under Jerry Bradshaw, which is, you know, really kind of how I ended up doing PSA, just the availability and the availability to learn on it as well. Um, and that's where I got a ton of experience. I mean, there's a lot of dogs there. I worked a lot of dogs, um, met my husband, which a lot of people know now is that Deadpool decoy. Yes. I I only see him with a mask. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Next right? time I have to meet him. He decoyed a ton well before that. Um, it just kind of was a fun thing he did at a trial and then it kind of turned into something. So um, but yeah, so he's was a police officer in Baltimore City. Uh -huh. And he, you know, I end up moving. But you did something with police dogs or no? like at some point in your career or no? Yeah. So because uh, at Tar Heel K9, they train a lot of police dogs. So I trained a ton of police dogs, handler courses, did a lot of seminars, did some seminars on military bases, all of those things. Um, so I spent some time doing that. And, you know, he had a police dog and came down and ran a certification. <laughs> and, you know, we met and started dating. And, you know, after a year, I moved up here, you know, I'm up in Pennsylvania, which is just kind of north of the ball, the Maryland line. Uh -huh. So, and started state line canine. And, you know, now, you know, I didn't really have intentions of or certain goals of what I wanted to do. I just want to keep training, but it turned out 
that, you know, now I have this 11,000 square foot facility and I have a lot of pet dogs. We do a lot of, you know, sport dog training. We just still do some police dog training. Um, you know, I take on interns. So there's just, you know, the more you can offer somebody, it just kind of like they keep taking it. So here I am. How, how do you feel as far as burnout or excited to keep diving further, deeper? How, where are you? You know, I mean, I honestly, I have moments. I'm a little burnout. Right. I do too. Sometimes it's just like, man, I wish I can check out. But then it's like, I love it so much. I just can't <laughs> stop. Uh, and I'm like, just, uh, yeah, I get to the point. I'm like, I really understand why right. people take sabbaticals now. Yeah. The longest I can do is three, four days. And it's like, then, then the moment I have a, a, a kind of break and then, all of a sudden ideas start to just pouring in my head and I'm like, I need to go back and start doing stuff again. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you, we go out, you go on a trip that you're away. You don't take your dogs, you know, you actually leave everything behind and then you feel like I should be doing something right? where I should be doing something with my dogs right now. And so it is, I mean, yes, I enjoy the breaks very much but at the same time so I, I got I've kind of like the last couple of years I've kind of been teetering on that like oh, it's a little exhausting but I just like it too much and I just I can't stop because you so just just so we touch on this for for everybody it, I mean it's besides the pet training besides you competing you also judging yeah. And you're giving seminars and workshops. So so it's a all around busy schedule and anything dog. Um Yeah. I have an eight year old <laughs> that I'm oh, raising. Yeah. Us, but, you know, you have everything at home that you're trying to to manage as well. I like the topic that you were presenting at the IACP conference. I think um I think it's important topic. Um and I believe it starts to change a little bit now. Uh, the pet dog training industry starts to realize that sport dog training has a lot to offer and and almost, if not everything, arguably almost everything that pet dog trainer does to some level is influenced by top level sport programs. Um, and I do the same like in my school uh, when I teach, like one of my last modules in the course is you have to try a dog sport, no matter which dog sport, but you have to try it just so just so you keep yourself in check and 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 your head doesn't just get bigger and bigger and just because you're training thousands of dogs and there is no checkpoint to see are you how good you are at it, you know? And it's uh you know, going into any sport and doing well. You do well one time and then five times you don't do well. And and your ego crashes and, and you learn how to bounce back. You need to start to think what you need to adjust and it's just such a learning uh experience. Um but yeah that was a <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, I really think that if if there is anything mandatory, I'm not about 
creating any policies and laws of certifications of right. dog trainers because I think that gets too complicated. Way and, too and, complicated. And who is to decide? Yeah, exactly. You know, <clears throat> as long as we have ethics and morals and, and you know, we, we are considerate and the welfare is there, um, you know, but, but what, what I was saying is when you, when, um, we have the, the, a pet dog trainer to like somehow to force themselves to, to do something, take a dog, train it into anything like a rally, AKC, fly ball, I mean anything, but go and, and do something where your abilities and your knowledge gets tested because I think that's how we all grow and that's where you, you're like, oh, what are you doing with that dog? I like what's going on there how it will make you a better trainer and it will like you said put you in check and you know some people don't want to be put in check but if you want to be better you have to be put in check you have to accept that you're gonna fail at some things you're not always gonna look good right yeah it's a i think many don't dare to either either don't dare to get exposed afraid not realizing that getting exposed, I don't think even exposed is the right word because it's, you know, it's, we are who we are. We train dogs, you know? I mean, I guess it could be exposed if you're trying to make yourself look good on social media, but then you're exposing that you're really not a good trainer. <laughs> you're not that great. And then, and then it's a toss up. Do you, do you decide to really grow your skills and knowledge or keep building that kind of fake facade? And, and fool people around. It's easier to build the fake facade, right? Like it's easier to build that. True. Nowadays, there's it's a it's a model that you know it's not hard to do. So, how many times you've won the PSA three? Um, I've taken two dogs to a PSA three. Right. And you guys breed breed your dogs, or how how is it? Yeah. So actually, my first dog um, is the father of my second PSA three dog. So now I have the next generation, you know, really the grand yeah. of my first dog. And now I'll be, my plan is to show them in the twos next year. I was too busy this year to, I hoped to get them on the field this year, but traveling and seminars, you know, your training time kind of gets cut. So next year um, I'm hoping to put them on the field in the twos and then, you know, goal is always, you know, try to get them as far as I can. So hopefully, you know, you're going to be educating me along the way here on PSA. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I mean, I follow as much as I have time to. And, and it's definitely, again, just like any, any, especially a protection dog sport. It's, it's always of interest to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, as we were talking at the conference, I, for whatever reason, anytime there is something going on locally here, I'm either having a class or I'm not in the country. Right. But there is some trial coming up, I think, in shortly here in Tampa. Um, so I, that might be the second time. I, I did go to one of them, and, and this will be another opportunity that I'm going to do. Um, 
the level two is what you guys call the professional or something, right? It's like a off leash. It's more. It's a, but it's there is a big jump, right? We'll call it an upper level. An upper level because it is once you're, you know, the twos and threes are really, you know, what we would call the upper levels of the sport. Right. That so, so like between the one and two, the, it's a. It's it a, is a pretty decent jump. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then level three is really just off the roof freestyling and, and or or am I right? It takes a ton of time, like in dedication. You have to be very stubborn <laughs> to you know, to kind of complete that let's complete that training. You know, like when I I used to live in California in the nineties. And um at the time, that's just kind of side story that's interesting. Um, but I don't even remember. I'm horrible with remembering names. But there was um, there were two organizations at the time before PSA. There was like something pro canine or so, I, some kind of very generic name. And then there was another one, National Association Police Protection Dogs or something like this. It was. They were both kind in California, doing a lot of stuff. And I just came from Belgium and, and my, my thing was really like my, my favorite dog sport at the time was Belgian ring. And of course, early 90s, nobody was doing nothing, at least in California where I was. Um, so that was interesting, and there was uh, there were some police trials that were happening. Western, I don't know, conferences, some something. There was a guy, um, Art O'Keefe. He had a he was uh, doing a lot of cool stuff at the time, like he really brought up the ideas of working with multiple decoys and redirecting, and, and you know it wasn't perfect. I mean, we're talking in an infancy of, of this kind of ideas of, of protection type sports. But then what happened was all of those groups that try to push those sports, they somehow, you know, exist for one year, two years, maximum three, and they just fold up. And then another one. And and that kind of was like, man, that's disappointing, right? And and then I heard PSA was kind of starting, and I'm like, okay, that's going to be another one that's going to go for, for another two years and it's going to fold up. But you guys made it, and, and you're certainly, uh, uh, you know, a protection dog sport that's here to stay, and it's obviously the program is growing, the membership's growing, and it's becoming very interesting to people. So popularity is there, and and I don't know, I mean, it's, what, 25, whatever, I, I mean, it's a long time now, something. Do you want, yeah, right. over 20 years old um, now. So, how, how do you, how do you see PSA compared to the other protection sports? I think it's like, and nowadays, I think it's, I don't want to say cleaner is is maybe the right word, but that's like the word that I'm thinking of. It's a it's cleaner to not compared to the other sports, but compared to what it was when it was new. 
right? Now there's cleaner concepts, there's cleaner yeah. training, there's cleaner performances on the field, right? All of those things are getting sorted out. Yes, that was, that was that's a very good point. That's a very interesting point because that was one of my biggest concerns with all this uh, sports that are trying to pick up and it's normal in infancy stages to, you know, you, you experiment and you try something. It's like, well, it doesn't, doesn't work or we have to modify. But along the way, if you had somebody super dedicated and it gets a puppy and starts to train a puppy, and then the program changes on them a little bit too too drastic, you know? Yeah, it's, and I think that's like one of the things that I hear from the other sports is that it's it's hard to know how to train for PSA, right? So I think that's less the case because it did get cleaned up. It is more organized, right? It's more structured. Um, and it will continue to aim to that direction in my experience. Right. It will also continue to change, evolve is, you know, really a better word to continue to challenge trainers. So part of the part of the sport is to challenge your training. So when training gets better to meet it, and this can be very frustrating for some people when your training gets better and you know how to meet that mm -hmm. level of training and then it evolves and says now that's not good enough and now you have to even get better that's frustrating for a lot of people i like it because that's the whole point of me doing it right sometimes i hate it you know sometimes it is a love hate thing um so i think that's one of the things in psa is like you have to understand that's it's going to happen right mm -hmm. this is what mm -hmm. this sport is um and if you want something to stay very you know more routine then you know another sports kind of is definitely up is for you so obviously that's you know some people you know and i i think in the early days i mean i wasn't obviously i i got my first dog i was such a newbie in the early days right so i'm just going out there training and trying to like i'm doing my best to make it through right having having fun with your dog it, you know back then it, there was a lot of i want the strongest dog and bite work right we want to we want these dogs to take a ton of pressure and we want control but there's less um Plus what IPO and Schutzen like, right? Yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the power and the obedience and, you know, the dog's looking happy out there, right? So yeah, there was some of that, right? Um, and now it that's where it's getting cleaner and progressing, right? Our training methods are getting better. It's not just about, yes, it still is about like, we want really strong dogs that can handle a lot environmentally, Right. Um, however, it's, that's not the sole purpose of the sport, right? We want overall better training. How do we still use all these better training methods? We're all learning how to do it better, make our dogs faster while still having as much fun as possible, right? They want, we want them to enjoy it as much as we, as much as we do. So that's also progressing, um, in that sense. So I think that's, helped improve the sport and bring a lot more people in and bring a lot more interest. Um, so the surprise scenarios, I think, keep it a little bit 
more difficult. Yes, you gotta tell me a lot. I need to hear a lot about the surprise scenarios. It's always uh, like a highlight of it some, for some reason, right? I've seen Mondio Ring. I actually got to see Mondio Ring in Belgium. Um, but I don't know, you know, in-depth scoring setup, those types of things to uh -huh. really make a good comparison. But because of that, you know, sometimes the perception is hard, you know, from the outside to see, like, what are judges, are, are there inconsistencies, are, are they setting people up to fail, right? Are, are all these things happening? Um, and it, you know, sometimes surprise scenarios don't play out the way the judges anticipate, just like when we do training sessions, yes. you know, we aim for something to work a certain way. And we're really trying to set it up to do that. And we think, it, you know, might be, it's an easy setup and you're like, what the heck? It did not, yes. <laughs> like yes. it did not pan out. So it, you have to be willing to accept that sometimes it's, it, things don't play out. Sometimes decoys make mistakes because when you have surprise scenarios, you know, the dog's not practicing it. The decoys aren't practicing it. Right. So there are, there is some level of, you know, error there. For sure. But it's, as you say, like Monduring can totally level one or two exercise can be way harder, even though it's set up to be much simpler, it can be way harder than level three. So I'd imagine there's some similarities with the surprise factors with that. Your surprise scenarios, are they only on the level three or are they in the other level so level two is when you introduce one of your protection scenarios is a surprise written by the judge mm -hmm. you know it will be it should be written to follow within the same skill level as level twos ask for right um so that's really like level one you say surprise um, there's one perception scenario that's a surprise, but there's it's a possibility of these five pre-written ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they're pre-written surprise scenarios. You just don't know until trial. When, when it will happen. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they like that's mm -hmm. where it's really kind of introduced. Then level two, the only written part, complete surprise of level two is one protection scenario. Now your distractions that the decoys carry around um, within limits, you know, there are limitations on what they can have, like during your obedience and during some of the other protection routines, like those are, that's where the judges have a little bit of play. Like, mm -hmm. how can, you know, the decoys can behave a little bit differently. Um, you know, you can do a recall, um, you know, the recall portion, the handler can be in a chair you know, laying on the ground, you know, so like there's some variables that the judge can play with, but it's the same routine. It's, you know, the, the routine is the same, right? Like a, some point or another, like the same thing's happening. Are the exercise like in some rotation or are they back like, uh, it uh, used to be, so this is likely the involvement level two obedience was exactly the same routine. Like you start here, you do your figure eight, you halt, you're looking at down your dog, you leave your dogs, exactly the same routine um, at one point, right? So like they made it at first, it was a little too crazy. Um, so my first dog that I did the level two with, the whole obedience was a surprise. Like it was, I was like, I mean, I went from a routine to everything surprise. It was hard. So 
Um, but now, you know, for years, it's been the same. So now like with the involvement, you know, it's like you can start at a different starting point, a different cone on that level too, but you're still doing the exact same things. Right. So maybe there's one portion that's like you leave your dog and stay and recall them over obstacles. Yeah. You could start there versus starting where the figure eight is. Right. But you're still going to do the exact same things. It's just the order of what you do might change up a little bit. So that's I mean, that's the element of surprise in the level twos. So it introduces something, but it's literally the same routine. It's just. You know, you're always leaving your dog and recalling over two obstacles, mm-hmm. always, right? You're always going to have to leave your dog and do a drop on recall. You're always going to have to do a retrieve. You're always going to have to do a, the, the, the food refusal after the figure eight. You're always, you know, like you're always going to do the change of paces after the figure eight. You know, you're always going to have to do. So all of those things are exactly the same. It's okay. always going to be two decoys on the field. Right. Um, so there's some, more of it is very much the same, but there's just some elements of surprise. And how like, let's say for the high level, like let's say t- level three surprise, how who who makes it? Who is it the judge on the field or does the judge consult with like the judges committee or whatever? So the judge writes the scenario if uh-huh. it's a newer judge. It has to be written and approved, I mean, reviewed and approved by a senior judge. Okay. So when the newer judges are writing things, maybe they don't, you know, they're not scoring things appropriately, or you see things where you're like, well, you know, what's your goal for this? Because that's not really practical. Um, Those are the, you know, that's how it's done. So it's pretty much ultimately to the discretion of an experienced judge to come up with that. Yeah, there is like, there's a judge's handbook with guidelines, right? It's still going to be a list of these skills that will be included, Uh right? Uh So it's still, you know, okay, you know, you're, you could do a drop uh, down on recall or sit on recall. You can now in the level threes, it might be sending out over obstacles versus Uh recalling over obstacles, right? Now your retrieve is going to be with an obstacle involved, not just straight in the flat ground. So yeah. there's there's a list of things that will, it's still going to see the food refusal, or at least it has to be so many of off of that list have to be included. You know, there's some things you might not see, but so the skills are, there's still a guideline of now you ask for these skills, right? And these skills are still scored similar to every level. So say, you know, I mean, an obstacle, Mm -hmm. there are two, three points in the other levels. You can't make a 10 point jump, right? It wouldn't be practical because that's not how, you know, you still, there still is some, it doesn't seem like it from sometimes if you're not involved, but there's still some level of consistency in what the sport is asking for and how the scoring is done. Right. Got it. You're are healing jumps, still the same amount of points, right? Are, are the jumps kind of like ring style where you can increase for more points or, or? No, they're just 
36 inches max. Okay. So you just okay. do a, it can be an open, like, you know, more of the open jump window jump. And in your, I'm assuming you, you really don't care if the dog is touching because sometimes they're jumping with some bucket or who knows what and whatever, or does that matter? This is the thing where like, you know, because you're creating some different variables, right? The purpose of the variables is, to, you know, test the dog's generalization, right? How well do they know these skills? Right. If you change the variable, can they still be sure what you're asking? It's also very much testing the handler. Right. Some people forget that or they don't realize it is testing the handler. Right. So you need to make that call. Like, yes, things cannot be performed at the ideal picture that they were in the ones. Right. Your healing may have a little bit more hiccups because there's more going on, right? Um, if I'm asking a dog, you know, a handler to recall a dog, but they're on crutches, I can't expect the same picture as I do when they don't have crutches, right? So you're you're scoring it with the exception of like the dog can't get in position. So I can't, I'm not gonna dock you if they're as close as they can and straight. You know, if they come in front of you, you're going to lose a little bit more. So there's expectations where the handler, it makes the handler think if you add this variable, yeah, if there's a variable over a jump that may, may cause the dog to hit it, the judge should not fault the dog for that. Okay. Right? If it's a straight open jump, yeah, no, the dog should not hit the jump, you know, just like any other sport. If your dog's just going over a jump and there's nothing to get in the way of its normal jumping, then, you know, it should jump. It should clear a 36 inch jump. You know, it should know how to clear that. Yeah, because it, I mean, in some ways, and I'm just thinking out of all the programs, you know, it's it's good to, to be able to see the physical abilities of a dog, the skill of jumping without the effort and confusion of everything else you know sometimes like like that's where i like the the ring sport jumps because they they maintain the health of the the breeds you know like like you you either jump or you don't and we're not gonna go like how schutzhund and ipo and igp ended up making the walls and the jumps like lower and lower and to to match up that the dogs that cannot do it just because they wanted to make the sports popular. But for whatever reason, PSA is really popular. And I don't know if it's the freestyling or it's just that the protection aspect of it. Um, and also probably you have so many more varieties of dogs that come to participate. Like you go to a ring sport and you have 20 Malinois and maybe one Shepherd and who knows one something. So sometimes, you know, some of it is the ability, you know, just ability to be able to take different dogs in into the sport, right? I think some of it's availability. I mean, back with my first dog, he comes from ring lines. He came straight from um, Euro Joe, Bertram and Nikki, right? Oh. So back in their old, 
<laughs> old lines, right? So he comes back from that and, you know, he's got ring in his background. So I'm like, Mondio ring was a very intriguing sport to me. I became a member, started kind of researching it, but I mean, I didn't have availability to train it, right? right? I didn't have the people doing it near me. So sometimes it is that. Yes, absolutely. So it's, and now like PSA is popping up and all these random places that other sports aren't. So sometimes that's the intriguing side of it, right? Um, you know, I mean, they might think some aspects are cool, right? They look fun yeah. or they look, you know, they, it's, so I think it's really just pulling for a variety of reasons. Right. For sure. Some of the scenarios are, you know, I mean, you just can open, have a drink and watch some YouTubes and watch dogs either pass or fail cool scenarios. It's a, it's a, you know, it, that, that's, that's the interesting part um that temptation to go man i want my dog to be able to do that right? right like when you see these level three dogs doing stuff like that draw in hopes that they're gonna have a dog that can do that you know i'm not not a lot of them stick through it to that point but oh. you know they i i think that draws some people as well and and what you said i think it's such a important part of living in the states you know you you have to pick the sport that you have access near you otherwise any 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 dog sport is expensive to do when you decide to really do it you, you're gonna travel there is no question about it you're gonna i mean that you we're gonna be spending money but at least your home base has to have a good coach especially if you're in the beginning stages or has a one or two good decoys that can take you somewhere it's like often people will be well i want to do this sport and i'm like where do you live and it's like well it's not gonna happen it's just not gonna happen like you kind of like with with martial arts you may like jujitsu but too bad there is a I don't know, Muay Thai gym next to you, and it's a really good gym, and you make your choice, but you can yeah, learn from... Yeah, my husband does jiu-jitsu, but the gym, he has a nice gym, but it's over an hour away. So right. he goes, he gets up at like 3.30 in the morning and leaves the house no later than four to go to like early classes, you know, and get there before rush out you know morning rush hour in the city and you know it's not uh, but that's you know i mean that's one that's jujitsu but dog sports it could be four hours away yes and and a lot of times you drive back and a training session didn't go well <laughs> and and learning how to deal with that it's a whole different skill like sometimes i watch some of the scenarios and I get like, you know, I cringe a little bit when I watch the dogs. And the closest that I can think of is French ring be besides just a pure street protection fight, right? Do you, how do you guys can make, what, how do you think over this, uh, 
I mean, obviously you have to consider safety of the dogs because it's everybody, it's everybody's dogs, and you and I will be like, well, yeah, I want to test my dog, but I want to have some sense of. Of course, you're jumping in a sport that's protection sports. For sure, you're taking a chance. But do you? How do you like when you make the the scenarios? How how much? When when do you draw the line to say, well, this is a little unsafe. Let's not do that one. I'd say the trickiest part is know to what level people prepared their dog, right? Mm. For me, it's an advantage of having dogs all the way through, you know, a couple dogs all the way through the threes or having dogs that I'm currently working. I can test out some ideas in a safe manner and go, uh, this, I, no, I won't ask for this. Right. Um, I also, obviously my dogs mean a lot to me. Right. And I want them to not be hurt. Cause I want them to get a three. I want them to have continue their career. So if I wouldn't want my dog to do it, then I absolutely wouldn't ask anybody else. So in some ways, like it's an easy call for me. Um, and I, I obviously it's something I really try to stick with. Right. Um, there is a level, I, I do feel there's a level of responsibility for like handlers to be like, well, I mean, I don't, I know my dog and I know they may not do this well. Right. And I've had, you know, I have written scenarios and I've had handlers in the threes that bring up a concern and I'm like, you know what, that's really fair. Mm. So let's make an adjustment. So there's no question like a, cool. of safety, you know, sometimes as a handler, you do have to know your dog, um, but there's always um, that opportunity. You know, if there's a safety concern, you just ask. You know, and then the judges, uh, uh, like you know, I'm always really open to. That's that's fair. Let's let's tweak it a little bit so safety is not a concern. Like I'm okay with that because ultimately, what am I? What are we looking for? You know, it's usually not going to affect what I'm actually trying to test the hand or handler or dog for, right? So those adjustments. And that's my that's my next question right away now. How do you guys do, like, let's say in IGP, the dog gets pressured, stops engaging the decoy, he gets disqualified. In any of the ring sport programs, they don't get disqualified, they just zeroed on an exercise. What do you guys do? How, how, how does it go with PSA? Sometimes they don't bite because they're unclear confused, right? or confused. Yeah. That is that will zero that will not DQ. Okay. But the dog literally won't engage. I mean, they're going towards the DQ. They're very clear that it's a bite. And then they go hit the brakes and they're like, no, 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 no. Or they run. Right. Then that's a DQ. Okay. Right. Okay. There is. Um, so that's where we're looking at. Cause they are, sometimes they, you know, obviously dogs might bite. A, the wrong decoy, right? Um, that they're not supposed to be biting. That's a zero. It's not a DQ, but yeah. it, you would zero that protection exercise, right? Um, and then, yeah, if they just get confused um, and don't engage a decoy because, you know, it's a directional and they just don't follow that direction, right? That you're going to zero 
that bite, right? Yeah. Or that that portion. How long does it take to get to level two? If you assuming you have the right dog, you have the knowledge and you're within a circle that helps you out. It depends on training style. Um, I think someone had shared something you had put up not that long ago about rushing dogs. Oh, yeah. That's always a, a, a thing. Putting them through, making them do all of these things. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel that so much. Why? And you don't get the trophy for for that. So it's for me. I, I'm guessing like, you know, I, I feel the same as you is like, I want to take my time. I want my dog to really endure each level of training. You know, the, as I'm teaching them something, take my time and teach them, like learn each phase and enjoy the process because mm -hmm. I want to enjoy. I enjoy it. I enjoy the process. I'm not in a rush. You know, it's not a race. Um, so I take my time. There are people that are getting like threes on dogs that are like three, four years old. And I'm like, I don't even put my dogs on the trial field in PSA till they're three. I mean, PSA puts a lot of environmental pressure on a dog. I mean, I want them to be mature enough to handle that. Right. Um, so I, and I'm not in a rush. Um, yeah. So it depends. I mean, for me, it's a slower process. So I've had, obviously, you know, time kind of got in my way just because of traveling and doing seminars and running the business this, you know, this year. But um, my dogs were last competing season three. Um, they turned three years old um and they both showed at nationals last year they're litter mates <laughs> so they're exactly kind of the same point and then they just turned four this year so i would you know nor on my ideal picture i would have had them in the twos at four years old and next year it'll be they'll be four turning five um so you're kind of that, you know, six to seven range. If you yeah. can get to the threes at that point, I think to me, that's a really good pace. Yeah, that's actually a, probably across the board for, for all the protection sports. It's it's very similar then that that's very similar to all of them. And Some of the people that rush to the two, you know, through the ones and twos, what happens is like they've rushed and their foundation isn't solid. So then they fall apart for the threes. That or the dog starts to really question, am I good enough? And once they really start questioning that, then, then it's very hard to bring them back and convince them that they are. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of the ways they fall apart, right? There's, you know, to me, it's, there's a level of stress, um, unnecessary stress put on the dogs um, because of whatever eagerness or trying to match these videos on social media. You know, when I do my workshops, I mean, I tell people, I mean, it's not reality, you know, I mean, you have see people out there because they think it's cool to heal around, you know, my dog's healing around all these decoys being crazy, right. right? That's not what it's about. So yeah, maybe to the outside, you know, to those people on social media, but I'm like, you haven't even done the P the entry level certificate, you know, and now you think you're like, have a dog that's going to do a three one day probably not going to happen. I know that. Right. 
And I'm like, here I am at that same age. My dogs are like barely healing because I'm working on other things, right? Like I work on what I think my dogs need. How is it with the to to go to a national? What like is there a qualification? How how is that process? What is there? Right now, like I said, it's as the sport grows and progresses, the, the qualifications are going to get more strict. And we're kind of getting to that point, especially in the level ones. Um, so we'll it'll probably get tightened up. But right now you have to have your level, you know, level one, which is two legs. You have had to pass that competition season. You have had to show twice. If you did not show twice, a full routine, meaning your dog can't bite in obedience and then still qualify. <laughs> you have to complete the routine um, twice. Um, or if you did not do that, you must place in the top five at your regionals, right? Um, and then that will qualify you. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's pretty, how big is like membership wise how how big is the psa i don't, I don't know. know we're in the thousands nice and now i'm not sure we're in the I mean, 2000, really 2000 nice. range maybe okay maybe? i don't know that's i haven't really checked cool. membership numbers i'm like in the 500 numbers so i'm going way back <laughs> yeah like the um, igp always struggles with that but i think igp is just not it's just not um not appealing because it's just very hard i think that's what i think getting less appealing I because the challenge is kind of yeah. dropping you know and the politics are getting in the way of what trainers like but um one of the good things of psa is also that it's american and and you guys decide what is okay what's not okay yeah, I mean, right now, like the politics aren't getting in the way with a sport and the sport's not letting it bother them. Like we're just going to keep doing, you know, the sport's going to keep doing what it's doing. Right. It's not hiding. It's not, you know, it's like that's it is, you know, I mean, now people have said that, especially some people that come over from, you know, IGP or the Albert Schutzen, they're like, I am this is one piece that's appealing like you're you're still going out there to test dogs and you don't really care what politics like the politicians are right. saying um as long as we can you know and sometimes and, you know in some ways that is important with the industry like you know keep doing what we're doing and don't try to hide it you know don't try to act like they're right, right and we're doing you know and you know tiptoe around them yeah europeans got so stuck with how how they just believe that they're gonna please the the animal rights activists and but they ultimately not gonna care and they'll be able to do what they still do and little by little they they're where they are today and and hopefully it doesn't come to the states that's like one of my biggest fears that um you know we don't need to you know, it is a serious fear. I mean, we're all in trouble. Right. So, you know, that's kind of what I think we have to kind of, you know, we don't know the best answer, but I think the mo more experienced trainers have to kind of stand, stand their ground and try to, you know, you know, save the industry as best as, you know, as we can. Yeah.
needs to be explained and needs to be talked and not to like I know in Germany it's ridiculous at the moment they have um and I'm sure people from Germany that listen to the podcast will will agree um they they like a pet trainer in Germany today they have to get certified approved by the government and to do that I don't know if you know that or not but it's just an interesting piece that if they have to pass a test and in the written test to make it super simple not to go in depth but in the written test there is like a clear cut like are you positive only trainer or are you going to use any aversives and if you don't say that positive is better that works better and that all those negative reinforcement and punishment and all this doesn't work then you don't get certified so they have no choice but to check the right boxes and once all these trainers have checked the right boxes then they they're all in this trap that there is no way out because anybody that tries to raise an opinion or question it they come back at them and say well there is all this hundreds or thousands of trainers that have proven that they can do it without and they can do it better and it's just and and hopefully we don't get to this point that's like really a a, a scary thing for for us and it is because i mean it's it's our it's not just our industry i mean it's our careers it's our hobbies i mean our life with our dog it's our dogs i mean yeah. what is a malinois without right their outlets we can give them right without the proper training all of those things and the training itself will like the the the, the cool thing about protection sports always is that you you learn how to deal with environment and competing reinforcers and and whatever else in a way that you can accomplish what you want without breaking the dog and that's how training grows and once we stop that you you will never know how to deal with a dog that's losing its mind on a sidewalk besides putting them on a harness and giving them Prozac. Yeah, um, I mean, the dog won't learn how to deal with it, you know? I mean, if you look at humans, a lot, you know, the goal when they medicate, you know, because some humans, I mean, they, you know, there is a right time and place for medication. Yes. For the SRIs and those types of things. But usually when it's done right, even for humans, it's in conjunction with some type of therapy and learning to handle their stress, to handle their anxiety, to know how to come down, bring themselves down from the stress. Now, if they're on medication, that's also kind of giving them a boost, you know, a push in the right direction. But the goal is to get off the medication because they learn how to handle, you know, how to work through that. And so it's the same with dogs. You know, I have found there's times where medication is handy, um, but I feel the goal should be the same, that they have to learn how to deal with stress. They have to learn how to come down from a highly stimulated state, whether it's because of stress or drive, right, and know how to handle that, right? We have to 
teach them at a certain level how to do those things. And, you know, that's, they just want to ignore, you know. Yeah, it's it's very much. Them up to the point where they're not learning how to deal with anything. They're just, I mean, to me, they're mentally going crazy in the head. You yeah. know, it's not, I can't even imagine the mental state that yeah. these dogs are in. I, I and then. Yeah, it's it's a, such a hard one. This is like one of the hard things too. With the, I think dog trainers that are trying to work with behavior modification and veterinarian animal behaviorists are in competition. Unless they are force free, then they are in agreement that they're gonna send the client back and forth and they're both going to make money. But any other trainer that says, no, I'm, I can do behavior modification and the first thing that I would try to do is just to see if I can tell that dog, hey, don't do that, do that instead, which is straightforward dog training. And in most cases, it's perfectly sufficient. And a dog that is locked up eight hours and you take him around the block on a walk and it's destructive you can play ball with him and fix the problem or you can put him on some medicine that has zillions of side effects now as you said there is always room for the medicine but but there is the steps and and that's again kind of the iacp um Lindsay, when he had his thing about the Lima, which it's like, I don't know why we even have to talk about it because it's such a common sense. It's like, right? I know. I mean, when we experience it and see it, it is common sense. Like, try to try whatever it is. Like, you know, if you know that that's going to take care of the problem, why do you need to wait? until you exhaust all the other options knowing like knowing that they're not gonna work i mean it's it's scary but you know i think the scary part for me is they're doing it more and more for humans for kids yeah that's where it started like i had a i had really cool podcast with uh two doctors um, and dr lyle dr hulk like um on on this and it was so you know, like when you when you have the guts to stand up and, and just talk how it is, uh, you, you, you almost don't need a, a degree to like just common sense can tell you and, and you cannot dispute it. But it's a it's where we are. And but we're going to I don't know. I, I have hopes for the states. I think we we're, we're we're different. I mean, I think the one thing you know, the benefit to a lot of people in the states are, I mean, they kind of stand their ground on being told what to do right. to a certain extent. So, if I want to have a gun, I have a gun. If I don't want to, I don't. There's some level of freedom that Americans will fight for, and I think it's like. You know, obviously, I wish there was an easier way to educate the truly innocent people mm. that, you know, think they're doing something good by agreeing with these thoughts on, you know, medicating dogs or not using these training tools or whatnot. You know, 
that, you know, they're, they're being led to educate them that they're being led by false information, right? False science and right. like uh, they're being, their emotions are being fed on, you know, and it's not real life. And this is like, you know, we could give them the picture of, you know, that sad dog <laughs> like the SPCA does, but this is what happens when you don't use training tools, right? We don't have the power to do that, right? But so, I mean, our best thing is just to keep going and I do think sport is a good way to do that. So when you're seeing now, like a lot of these dogs in sport, like how much fun they're having, like even in obedience, you know, like they are happy, you know, we in like, especially they're going out on a field naked. I mean, there are no training tools in that moment. And this dog is just powerful and happy and enjoying its time out there and its relationship with the handler is so strong you know it's like it, it is one way to um influence people yeah which kind of makes me you know like i go back to this because we i did this is a good interesting point um how how do you guys judge the like do you pay attention to the mood emotions like too much suppression to like any of that balance during the performances yeah yep. yeah because some some sports i mean igp i think is at the point on the verge of almost like losing their mind of you know that you like you say you're you're running and you do down out of motion and the dog downs and puts for less than a tenth of a second a year back and then it's back up and that just like there is stress and avoidance and yes there is stress and avoidance but sometimes when you when you understand your responsibilities and you want to do it you put that stress on your own it's not necessarily that somebody you're ducking for your life and there's big difference of that so but um uh in like ring sports they have this general allure like overall attitude points how do how is it with the how do you guys do that more overall in psa because it is like you know the dog i mean they can do everything and you know, yeah, the the rapport, the overall attitude of the dog is maybe a little bit more flat. Yeah, but it's hard not to be because they have a lot to deal with. When you increase, I will say when you add the levels increase, right, they're going to be most particular in the ones because there's a lot less to work through. Yeah. Right? Very predictable. So once you get in the twos, there's a little bit more leeway on that, right? Because... Uh, we understand now there's competing motivations. It's a lot more difficult. The dog's thinking a lot harder to make really good decisions and really understand what they're supposed to do. Level three, even more so. So yes, like your it, there's some slack given according to how difficult this right. situation is. So it's still, you still want to look at the overall. You know, like if you got a dog out on the field and there's like nothing happening and they look, you know, terribly depressed, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they hate their life, you're going to at least consider that, that, okay, it probably wasn't 
because there's so many variables going on. That's kind of where I was. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I'll even write my level threes where, you know, the decoys are even out of sight and it's a plain empty field when that team comes on. I want to see how they are yes. about this. I'll start my level three obedience sometimes with like the most boring field. Perfect. I love what it. does this picture look like now? Yes. This is when the decoys come in. Yeah, I right? love it. Does it, does a dog enjoy working for you? Like, where's your relationship at before they thinks it might bite, right? Like if it's boring and the dog's like, oh, this, you know, Ah, I'm going to like, at least, you know, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh my gosh, you failed. But I'm going to look at that as my whole picture of what I'm looking for. Just like similar where, you know. So, but this will be by, by a discretion of how the judge sets it up. It's not necessarily in the rules to where you have some exercise in level three that it's without the environmental and decoy pressure. Um, you, it, it's you, you as a judge have to kind of find a place. Yeah. And most of it, the way the threes are, I mean, most of these dogs that don't have a relationship. I mean, really, you're going to struggle passing everything anyway, right? They're only going to have, you know, luck in certain areas, um, you know, and that is like there are there's always some people out there that are going to have, you know, everything went their way that day. You know, that dog seems rushed, that dog, you know, they don't seem like they've had all the really good foundation training, but somehow they pulled it off, right? Um you know, just like you'll see that. And I think it's, but it doesn't last. You're not going to see it again. You're not going to see it again. You're not going to see it again. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's some overall, I think this, you know, it kind of, this that level weeds out those, if you want to call them faults or weaknesses, um, because your, your relationship has to be strong, no doubt. Right. right communication right. has to be strong um i igp in that way is kind of again i think it's borderline becoming way too extreme but at the same time it, it makes like if you have th th this is one of the things i really like about and i i truly like all protection sports if not all dog sports but protection sports for sure but like in IGP, you have the, like if you have two equally good performances and the one is more free, more free meaning emotionally, you know, with a nice attitude and not, not, not always doing it because I must because. Right. Yeah. Right. And like, I'm so scared to mess up. Right. And, and be, because if you, as a judge, if you promote that one dog, you're also promoting the training of the dog. And then everybody, like the evolution of dog training it can be put on hold because we, we can say, well, that's how we did it 20 years ago. It's working, nobody questions it. But the dog is like, there is no spark. It's not like I want to, I'm dying to do this recall for you. And when you, when you select the, the other dog, you're also not selecting just the dog, but you're selecting the, the training that goes along. Um, 
And I think that's important. I think that's a very good way to to grow as dog trainers, as long as we also don't go overboard, which is always the hard thing. Yeah, I mean, it is the hard thing because it like, okay, this looks really good. And now people are are meeting this training style, right? They're reaching it. Now it has, to, you know, we have to add some layer of more. Yes. Right? And there, it is absolute, I feel like an extreme to that. Yeah. Yeah, there is difference between being a, a circus. That gets insane, right? Like positioning where, you know, looking at the armpit versus eye contact. I mean, because they think that might be, you know, I don't know, look better or something. You know, it's just like there's different things people obsess over that is not, that's not the training style, right? It's now they've taken it outside of what is a training style and they're fixating on something that may be, you know, a little less necessary in the big picture, right? Not saying it's bad, but it it goes to like the extreme focus on these things, which is kind of losing focus on the good training theories and the good training styles that have created uh, that free dog right that dog that looks really powerful and happy and obedient and it looks very impressive and it looks like it's you know that the team is a well-oiled machine machine working together right so i mean that's my thought on it cool. on like it does it, you know something's definitely got extreme do you like selecting puppies i i would be guessing there is not like a good puppy will be a good puppy to do sports that's my my take on like i don't i and again like i i've been i mean i grew up in eastern europe so i i'm at the time there was the east german german shepherds and the russian military style training and then i moved to belgium and i got exposed to all the belgian ring and i was actually still there when the French, the Dutch, and the Belgians were fighting. I'm jealous of that. I mean, I felt if I could just have had some experience on the Belgian ring, I would just. I mean, you still can. It's it's kind of almost an art that starts to the, the the like the young people are not so into it anymore, for who knows what reason. Yeah. Which is sad, man. I I mean, I think the Belgian ring is. I mean, you know, I don't know. I to my thing, that's like the hard one to beat. I think it's a. I think we have good Malinois because of that, and and I will be so concerned when they go away. I agree. If I go back to lines that I like. It's always the doggone Belgian <laughs> dogs. I, I end up being attracted to. You know. I at least I I think that if there is a good puppy. It will be good puppy in any sport. I don't believe the, like, oh, it's a French ring puppy. It comes from French ring lines, or it comes from IGP lines. Therefore, it's not going to be good in PSA or in, like, I, I really think that a puppy that is confident and comes out and says, I'm ready. But well, how do you think? I think so. I mean, I think maybe the exception to that is like you're hunting that for to get that precision tracking and, you know, stuff like that in your IGP. Um, 
I, it seems like some dogs struggle with that and I don't have experience. I mean, obviously I did a lot of detection, you know, some hard surface tracking, but not sport. I don't have experience with sport tracking, so I can't really speak on it, but I know some people can have these Malinois that really excel at obedience and bite work and, you know, would probably excel at any sport, but they really struggle with tracking you know, the methodical precision tracking that sport asks for. So maybe that, you know, might be the exception. Um, outside of that, generally speaking, yes. Right. I think that's a good dog is a good dog. And like, you know, I mean, especially you look at PSA, I mean, dogs came from all kinds of backgrounds. Right. Right. So, I mean, it wasn't like now, yeah, there's dogs that are like, in PSA that got bred and they're kind of, you know, developing like PSA lines. Right. I mean, kind of my dogs are along that. Not that I was aiming for that specifically. It just, it just happens. Yeah. But that's a normal progression, right? I mean, that's, it's not like, you know, I mean, they didn't have, they, there was no such thing as dogs coming from this, a certain background. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if it's a good dog, it's a good dog, yeah. right. There's going to be some that are, out of any line, you know, you just think of breedings, right? When you do these breedings, you're going to have some middle of the road dogs. You're going to have that. You might have that one dog that not many people can handle. It is a little too much dog, right? Um, same line. It doesn't matter what line. Well, it's the same litter. You're going to have that no matter what. So I think that's, those are the, the variables you're going to have within dogs and puppies and you don't always know when they're young i mean you get better at kind of maybe forcing some of those things but um so yeah. i think those are the variables but not necessarily you know so if you have a dog that's a little much maybe they're easier to do front ring with whether you know psa is not you know ask them a lot more to remain control under that high level of stress and you know decoy pressure Maybe, you know, but maybe, you know, some dogs are going to be harder to do, you know, unsuited muzzle attacks with. Doesn't mean it's impossible. Maybe naturally that dog's a little harder to teach one thing or another. But I mean, I think that's still, it boils down to that's the element of sport and dogs. None of them are perfect. Right. You know, my best dog, you know, my first dog won nationals three times he won at every level in PSA no dog has done that was he perfect was he like the superman of all dogs no he wasn't and it wouldn't be interesting if he was it wouldn't be interesting because there is no challenge to to get there they all have flaws they're all gonna fail it doesn't mean he stepped out on the field and like did perfect every time and training was perfect absolutely not it's just we trained and we're able to decipher through variables, you know, as a team to get there. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's ultimately the dog is the dog. And if don't matter what sport you're going to do, it's, if it's a good dog, it's going to be capable, you know, of whatever you're asking, you know, sometimes then it just really boils into training. You know, how many people wash dogs that really are good dogs, right? I mean, I've got a dog now that, the uh, reason I have two, you know, two litter mates. I kept one, 
because my current my dog at the time was retiring and I'm like well I can't be without a dog so might as well keep one first time I ever kept a dog out of a breeding but the timing was right for me and then one came back and you know it's a really nice dog and I'm like well I can't let this dog go now right it's I'm like this is a really nice female that's challenging definitely challenging Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but I like the challenge and it wasn't had nothing to do with the dog's capability of doing the sport it was the challenge of training right you had to be open-minded and really be aware of the dog you're working and know the best approach so you know I think that's you know so sometimes it really Genetics only go so far. And if they have them, yeah, you get good training behind it. They're, they're going to do well in whatever avenue you put them in. That's how I, I am smiling, listening to you. Cause I, I have my, like pretty much besides my very first dog, which I brought with me as I moved from Belgium to the States, all of them really were somebody else's dogs from my breeding. But at six months or at 10 months or a year and a half old, they were not good for the person. And they came back and I ended up winning championships and, and doing great things with them. Every single one, like every single one. Like I have my very first dog who is now a year and two months old. And I've been doing this since like, 89 I've been breeding dogs this is my the first dog and I'm like I need to select my own dog like I want to have the one I want but having said that and I love him he's definitely I I know I mean I you know knowing my lines I know what to select I know what to look for it's it's very it's straightforward but I have a female just like you do that just came back and it's six months old and it's full of herself. I mean, it's full of herself. And like this super cool thing, you know, like I think a classic Malinois trait of being extremely affectionate and in tune with you. But then this like, you touch her in the wrong way and it's and, and I'm, so she's here now. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but she's here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what like, you know, obviously I took this dog in and my goal was just to learn her and figure out the best avenue. Right. You do. That's what you do as a breeder, right? But I'm like, doggone it. If you do, like, I like you too much. And really she's, you know, her father was the last, this, my previous dog that I got a PSA three with. And he was a lot of dog, a lot of dog, but he stepped on that field and it didn't matter what our score was everybody remembered that dog he was powerful and you know like his life was go hard or go home that's his motto like that was it and everybody's going to remember that dog the decoys are like no matter how much experience they have their heart rate's going up when this dog's coming down the field right so and he came back to me at two years old he two years old i got the dog right and you know, boom, here we go. <laughs> like, and this female that came back is a lot like him, 
you know, very much her father's daughter. And obviously I have an emotional attachment to him. And that's, I like that dog. You know, he was a lot of dog to reel in, but man, like that's, that's her. She's a lot, you know. How common is to have females in the sport? Um, it's more and more common now. Yeah. Um, and I don't actually like female handling females. I say I don't like them to work. I am not. I've always been. I just jive with the males. Like that's just me. That's that's common. That's common. Like I, yeah, I. That that's not a surprise really. But uh, Malinois are still predominant, or or. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you see a good bit and you'll see, you know, dogs on the podiums that aren't Malinois, but for the longevity of the sport, I mean, Malinois are still predominant. The endurance of the Malinois is just different. Yeah, it's endurance, the physical aspect, you know, obviously the drive, the mentality, there's a lot of pieces, you know, on and part of it, it's like, maybe this is weird, you know, or odd thinking. But, you know, there's one thing about a Malinois, I will say, it's like attractive to the trainers that want the challenge. They're attractive to the trainers that want to do a really good job because Malinois will tell you when you're doing it wrong. Like, I mean, they're coming up at you or they're shutting down or they're getting work, you know, like they're where they you know, I mean, people can say like my word, it is they're more emotional, but they're, um, so, no, I mean, I think so. that's, they make you train well. Yes. They definitely make you train well. Definitely. It's one yeah. tiny piece of it, but it's their capabilities, man. I mean, there's just something Malinois they're going to be able to do, you know? I mean, sometimes I even question, I'm sure we all do like, why do I have you with <laughs> some days, you know, but really we can't not have them. Yes. Because when they go on the field, you're like, okay, now I know why. <laughs> and even when you're training on most days, I mean, they're still impressive. How often do you train? Like when you like just not preparing for a competition, but just maintaining or, or like how, how often do you do? You know, it's probably one of the hardest questions to answer because you're ultimately, you know, like, you know, we talked about it's when you're involved in training for a long time, you do more, you know, when you're traveling for, you're doing seminars, you're doing workshops, yeah. you're running a business as well. Right now, it's not like you just set, you can't go, I train, boom, 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 boom. It's not reality. I have a home. I have a child that has school activity. I mean, I have, there's so many things going on. So to me, it's, I'm always doing something. It doesn't matter if it's a skill or relationship stuff with the dog, whether, you know, sometimes it's having fun, but kind of, you know, I'm always doing something except when I'm traveling and I'm not taking care of my dogs, but there's, there's some aspect of you're always reading your dog when you're out walking them. Yeah. yeah. Very rarely am I just sitting on my phone, you know, like while they're doing their thing, I'm watching their behavior. I'm watching this. Can I do, can I pop something in? Can I, I have some type of interaction with my dog that, you know, is, somehow building them 
our relationship, their mind, their thought process, make them problem solve randomly, you know, when they're just out on a walk, you know, I don't know. They're just like, I might take them, you know, to like a hike or something, just like run around and be a dog. Right. Right. And, but in that time, I might throw a little something in there. That's just make them think, you know? Um, so that's kind of like my thought process. Yeah. Similar. It's kind of, it's when you have sport dogs that you want to be competitive with, I feel like you're kind of always thinking about something. <laughs> yeah, no question. <laughs> you know, like you're always, you know, getting, and people ask because of PSA and level three, like how I come up with scenario, like, how do I write level threes? Cause sometimes people like, how do you come up with this stuff? Which is, I, uh, which is also a question I meant to ask and never did, especially when you said that you, you not that familiar with the Belgian ring and the Mondial ring. And there's, they're like a, such a source for ideas. Like even, even when you see something and you're like, Oh, I can take this to a totally different place. And, so how do you come up with the how do you come up with ideas just from training times and you're like oh let's do that one training training i mean even watching you know trials being at trials watching dogs but a lot of it's my training right i think how can i challenge my dog how can i oh, like what's a new element i can put in here right um and sometimes the you see your dog struggle with something that you thought was going to be easy okay right. now this is an idea um because i i think the more you know like when i have a lot of experience i can write level three stuff yes it's going to have a lot of pieces but it's really about testing skill and setting things up strategically it's not it shouldn't be chaos, right? right? There's going to be a lot of movements and a lot of distraction, but really when you're testing elements and skills and handler relationships and handler problem solving and how as a, as a team, do they work through this? It's, it's more strategic, right? Yes. And when you train, you understand that strategy, Right. So you can write some things and say, oh, you know, let me piece things together in this order and see how the team takes it. Right. You know, sometimes things are just written where they do seem impossible. Right. But if you know PSA and you're in the threes, you should know the sport if you're at that level. Right. The judge is testing you. How are you going to handle the situation? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, how are you going to problem solve with your dog through this? And you're going to be like, when I do that, I'm scoring that accordingly. Like, I will let the handler get creative and I will reward that. That The sport kind of rewards handlers working with their dog and knowing where their dog's strengths are, right? Like, oh, my dog's strong here, so I'm going to take this avenue to get through it. Right. I'm going to sacrifice points on this area because my dog sucks at it. <laughs> and yeah, no, but that's the, that's how competition, you have to understand the rules and the points and you know where you make them and where you, it's okay to lose those. So, you know, I mean, I, 
even through my own struggles during training sessions where maybe I've failed my dog, I'm like, Hey, this made me think as a handler, mm-hmm. it, you know, can give me an idea of making a handler, make a decision in a scenario. Right. So that it's really, I mean, a lot of it is just training and spending time with my dogs, but it's like, it is sometimes random when I'm like, you know, driving and I'm like, randomly think of what some training sessions for my dogs. It just pops in your head. What else? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's how things happen. I'm like, Oh wait, I could put this in a scenario too. I should see how my dog does this. Right. Like how can I test my own dog and my own training? So it's not like, and I now with iPhones compared to back in the day, you know, like I can just put notes like, It's for me, it's notes for scenarios, but when you have ideas, you just jot it down and you're like, how do I, how do I want to get here? Let's say you do a level three or level two scenario and there is the obedience. Does it always, do you always have to include the four decoys or is the number? No. Mm -mm. So in level three obedience, you can have up to four, no more than four decoys, right? Cause I like, sometimes I watch it and I'm again, like, I mean, I, I train dogs and when you, when you understand the, once the dog understands the concept and when they start to, when they're really comfortable understanding the concept and they see the decoys around them, they're like, yeah, I feel at home. I know what to do. I know what you're trying to do, but I know my job and da da da, right? And so what, like, has any time been scenarios where the decoys don't show up or show up or show up very late and just kind of walk up or walk one person in the distance to where the dog is like, oh, I, maybe it's a bidexer. Like, do you guys play with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's, and it really, it's kind of like. Because I really feel that when, once the dog is there, and it, that goes for Belgian and Monduring as well. Like there is that generalization discrimination stage when they're like, I got it. Throw the world at me. Actually, it confirms what I know. Right. And it's like if they're neutral, if you can heal around four screaming right. decoys, I mean, why can't you heal around 10? Right. Ultimately. Right. So. And so to kind of trigger a dog at that point, it's almost the one decoy that kind of shows up over there. Yeah, so, I mean, decoys are huge because some dogs, the little prey movements get them. Yeah. Some dogs, okay, it's a, like I'm going to kind of stare you down a little bit or move a little slower, and then that dog is like, oh, you're moving a little different. Like, right. you're the one I should bite. So, yeah, the decoys... Um, will absolutely play a part in not just running around screaming, right? Okay. I mean, it's like, and I, you, that's the thing is like, you see all these social media posts of people doing that, healing with dogs. Yes, because they, I mean, obviously when you, that's what attracts, I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It, you're like, okay, that's cool. But I mean, like, it's whether, what else can your dog do? Right. <laughs> like. Right. That's my thought. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a piece of the sport, but that's not how it should be played out. Right. So that's why I was like, I do obedience. Sometimes it's quiet field, but when it goes 
when quiet to boom, that environment changes That's... or it's an inconsistent picture. How do you problem solve through that? Right. right? Um, you know, I mean, it's very common to throw um, what might look like a protection scenario from level one or two and throw that in your obedience portion of the three, but it's not a bite. Right. So, I mean, there's like some variables in there, but a lot of it is like, you just want to change, you know, lay out some elements that maybe that team didn't ever got to see or practice in that particular order or context. And how do they problem solve through that? Right. Cause all dogs are going to have weaknesses. Right? right. I know my first dog had, you know, some injuries, so I couldn't practice jumps as much. Right. I wanted to kind of give them more longevity. So, I mean, I set up either really short ones or, you know, directionals, but I, you know, so I knew I probably would lose jump points in some context because he may blow a jump. Right. But it is what it is. Right. So it's like, you're always, but I mean, if my dog can't do a jump, it should not fail, you know, like it's going right. to decrease our score, but it shouldn't fail us if he does everything else well. Yeah. Right. So they're all going to have weaknesses, you know, like sometimes a call off is a weakness. Sometimes, you know, and obstacles are weaknesses. Sometimes certain, you know, distractions are. How is training overall? Like, do you, do you find that there is few different styles of training or it's pretty uniform everybody trains in a very similar styles yeah they are that's good i actually like that because that's that's what makes dog sports interesting to me um if if everybody trains the same way and we all have the same dog they're just kind of we don't evolve so you know some are consistently successful with their training style which may be completely different than my training style. Okay. And, you know, I mean, there's two ways to get there. Yes. I mean, it's just like the same thing. Sports are sports. I mean, sometimes you choose it because that's what's available. Or, you know, I mean, obviously it was available, but I had good mentorship. Yes. If I could learn about the sport under <laughs> Jerry Bradshaw, then like it gives me an advantage, right? So why would I not soak up some knowledge there? Because yeah. that's, you know, um, it's pretty amazing that he he pulled that off, like really, because it's just not easy to one day wake up and say, I'm going to I'm going to start a whole new dog sport. And 20 something years later, it's actually, you know, more than reality. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I admire him and I appreciate it because obviously it's given me an avenue to. <laughs> Right. to do these things um you know and it's yeah i mean you know but you don't have to like the same training style you don't have to like the same sport do you have any any people kind of totally force free trying to do it or no a couple yeah. uh, i believe there's one girl now in california that's doing no training equipment uh, there was a girl um, I did a workshop years ago up in Calgary. Um, so she was, yeah, she didn't use any um, prong collars or e-collars. I am totally 
would encourage it too. It just don't don't make me don't make me not to use it if I feel that I need to and I feel that it's better. But if you want to give it a try, I'll be watching because if it, I can see something cool, I'll take it too. You know, like so it's very good. Yeah, that's that was my take on it. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is fun. Yeah, you know, I mean, cool. I'm like, I'm not gonna say, well, you're not probably ever going to get anywhere because you're not doing it no i mean you i know you understand the risks like i can tell you're a good trainer you've got an awesome relationship with your dog like cool like i see how far it goes i think we all want to see it making me think of ideas on how to set up some training exercises push the dog yet not use a prong collar or knee collar, right? Use her style of training. So it, you know, to me, it was kind of enjoyable to see the challenge. And then it was like another year or so later, she went out and she got her level one. They did had a really nice showing. Um, you know, I haven't seen her pass that level, but right, super cool. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I think trainers have to be open to that. You know, sometimes there are some styles of training. I just can't wrap my head around and why everybody wants to do it. Right. But I'm friends with some people that, you know what I mean? Like, you're just like, that's fine. It's like, I can't wrap my head around it. And it's, I just can't, it's not my cup of tea, but like, Hey, I, it's great. Let's all still train dogs and let's compete because we're still trying to do the best we can. And, you know, I think that's you know, the same with sports. I mean, some people are so like they bicker so much about the differences in sports and this one's better and that one's better. They're all really great in their own way, honestly. And it's like, would I dabble in the other ones? Probably if I had access, but I'm so it takes so much time to build a PSA three dog. I don't have time, but it's not because I think any of them are bad or you know they all have their challenges we're all competing against the sport in some fashion um you know so i'm like i think you need to respect you know each other is whatever we're doing um as long as we're the dogs well taken care of we're not you know like the dog's in good spirits the dog like we're still thinking of what's best for the dog um and we're showing some improvements, you know, or accomplishments with it. You know, we can stand behind it to a degree, right? Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's the that's the only way. I, I if anything to add to that is uh it's like a fine line. F- like sometimes I I put myself in situations because I speak but when I speak, I don't mean, you know, like I don't have that kind of ill will that people think. I just, like if I don't like a training something or some piece in a sport and I say I don't like it, I think we we got to accept that as, okay, well, you don't like it, but it's not like, it's not a war. I'm not declaring a war, you know. Like I'm still respecting, I'm still appreciating. It's just, I think we should be able to say, well, yeah, I, I don't like that. And 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 end it right there, right? Absolutely. Because it's like, to me, it's exhausting to worry about, like, actually getting emotional behind it. 
but I can bash something of another sport if I want to. And, yeah. and a fun, you know, like a lighthearted note yeah. sense. I mean, right. you know, it's my husband and I both joke about it. We're not super serious, but like, you know, we'll joke about duchies we're like well you know it does have stripes <laughs> you know what i mean like do we really hate duchies are we gonna like tell anybody not to get one no but we will joke about it you know and it could always be twisted to oh my gosh they hate this and they hate that yes right? and it's ultimately i don't take offense to it because i don't care you know like you don't have to like what i like you know, I mean, we may go to a restaurant and you hate that type of food. Perfectly okay. Exactly. Do I not like you because of that? I mean, there are things my own husband hates that like I like or vice versa. Like, and I married the guy. So obviously I don't like hate him as a person. Yeah. So you can hate certain things or really dislike certain things about a sport or a training method. It doesn't mean you dislike the person or the whole, like everything as a whole. My friends would always try to get me to play soccer. I played softball. That was my sport. You know, I started when I was five. I played college, right? So like, but we were friends and I'm like, I'm not going to just run back and forth on the field and kick a ball. That's so dumb, right? Like, do do I really think soccer is dumb? No, but I was going to argue why I was still going to play softball and why I liked it better, right? Did we not like just, or did we stop being friends because I made fun of their soccer? No, we didn't. We always stayed friends right. through school, right? So, because they knew it wasn't personal. I just was my thing, right? Most dog sports that I kind of know more about, regardless of the sport, there is the competitiveness turns into the groupie and the cliques and the fights in between. How, how is PSA? Is it any different or is it still the same dog training? I would say it's almost, obviously the sport grows. You'll probably see a little more of it. Um, at first it was kind of, the sport was so new and everyone is figuring it out that everybody just cheered for everybody. If you make it through kind of thing, right? Sure. Um, sure. But it, yeah, there definitely is. And people, it's, people are people. They take losing so personal sometimes or failing so personal that it you know it just becomes so much more than it what it really is um and it's it is hard to fail i mean i i was there i was i was a rookie once right. and took things to heart um and you know Usually I was more mad at myself than anybody else, but you know, and there's people that direct it. It's because of the decoy, because of the judge, yeah. because of, you know, like I was set up to fail. You don't like me. You like, I'm like, I don't even know you <laughs> like, but it's so, yeah, I mean, I think that's just always, it's kind of unavoidable. I mean, there is pros and cons because otherwise we, it's kind of, in some ways, it's also cool because like, well, our group, we are training this way and we feel that our training is better than yours. And even as I'm saying that, if I'm saying it to somebody, that's going to create a conflict already. But at the same time, it goes without saying, right? 
because and and it's nothing unhealthy. It's nothing wrong with that. Because you know, where you're testing your skills, you want to improve, and then you have to see where you stand with everybody else. And it's a, I think it's a good thing, until it gets to these places to where you're just kind of trying to screw each other in the the wrong ways. Exactly, and it's like I mean, there's. I would say that's the one thing that that will get me upset and that will start pushing my buttons is poor sportsmanship, right? Uh-huh. You come out here with the wrong attitude towards your dog. I don't care if it's just your dog. Like, uh-uh. I'm not going to see you get angry at your dog for failing. I'm going to start to lose respect for you, right? Um, you failed your dog ultimately, right? Your dog wasn't on that day. Whatever the case is, don't take it out on your dog. Don't. And then, you know, like, but same with other people. Don't have, don't disrespect people that have accomplished things well. You know, if you're going to start disrespecting people that have proven themselves or you're going to start having just poor sportsmanship overall, yeah, I start to like, you know, that bothers me. Um. And, you know, those are the people you don't really root for. And it, sometimes it sucks because you're like, man, they're really, really good trainers. But I just really hate their attitude. Like, and it's kind of under my skin. So honestly, like, I don't want to see them succeed as much as the person that just is out there with a good attitude. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the and that it, it is at heart. There's bad apples everywhere, unfortunately. And it gets under my skin, but I learned to kind of, I've had to learn to focus on my dogs in the sport and just like, Hey, if I'm having fun with my dogs and I'm seeing improvement every time we come out on the field or, you know, things are going, uh, things put together well, I'm happy for the, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, as a trainer or competitor, it's success with that particular dog right yes and it's not you know like my female she's not easy right like that we're always going to have some struggles but man like when you go out there and you're like man like the what we did i am so excited i mean no we didn't get first (laughs) you know but like you know, she, or it's like what we did and where her head was from where, you know, all those struggles we went through. I am so excited. Yeah. Sometimes it is exactly like that. Even like in, in any sport, you know, you, you make a score and it's not the perfect score and, and everybody's like, Oh, what happened? And it's like, nothing happened we actually did really good and i'm super excited <laughs> like we 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 maxed out it was amazing i last last year in nationals in the ones i had my male and female my male won like you know so we took first my female ended up fifth or something like that but man i was so ecstatic about where our performance was as a team with her and how far she has come for me that is like, I mean, I am ecstatic that we won, but like, I cannot tell you how excited I am for like this for my female, right? And people that are newer in the sport and kind of have the wrong mindset, I think don't see that right away. It takes time. Yeah, my male, like we're cleaner, you know, things that he's a dog that's 
cleaner. And if like, if I do right as a handler, we have a really good chance of winning, right? Like I can't fail. My handler experience has to come in play here and I can't screw up. <laughs> if I don't screw up, this dog will probably be fine, right? Um, so that's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you're, I didn't discount at all the success I had you know, with the female, because she's not an easy dog. We've had some obstacles and, you know, control is not her, you know, strong point. Right. Um, I mean, the decoys will probably, you know, tell me that she bit harder than any other dog in the level, but how many, how many decoys you have access at home? Like, how is it? Uh... It rotates a little bit over the years. I mean, obviously I will, I am extremely fortunate that my husband is, I mean, yes, he's got the image of the Deadpool decoy, but he really is an excellent decoy. Like yeah. I will, he will build a dog very well. He's good on a trial field, but he can build a dog. And I, so far the dogs he's built for me tend to have that extra edge and protection and it will show. So, um, I am extremely fortunate to have that. I did not marry him for that purpose, but <laughs> it is a bonus. Yeah, I, I know how. So we have, you know, and, and with our club and with our trainers, it rotates. So right now at club, you know, for here, we'll have, we have two other certified trial decoys. Huh. We have decoys that we've built up. Um, when you get used to kind of instructing decoys, it it's very helpful, right? So, um I'll have like a good three to four decoys, maybe not every single training session, but that I can rely on. Some of them are newer at foundation work. Some of them are, um, you know, good, you know, more experienced with that than trial stuff, you know. That's, uh, I think this is a very good, um, um, the, just, just the way PSA set up. It's a good way to get decoys in because they, they may not have the skill to do some amazing stuff, but they can immediately do something to help you. And, and decoys want to be that person that is there to help. And so even as they're learning, like if it's IGP, if you're learning, you're just learning. You, you're of no help for for quite some time to where we with PSA you you definitely have one more person in a suit and that's a good start and they know that they are already helping and and it's it's a good way to grow yeah that was a cool conversation like i i had so many questions about PSA <laughs> i bet you know i mean i get it's one of those things that it's like you know, especially for the established, you know, when you get established with, with your other ring sports, you know, the Belgian right. thing and, and that type of thing, it's, it's different. And I know it's different. And it's also different when you talk to, you know, somebody that is just kind of stepping into the sport versus somebody that's been doing it and know the sport ins and outs, you know. And, and yeah, you I, can get a totally different perspective from somebody that doesn't really understand it. Right. Like I've, I have quite a few people that come through my school that do PSA, of course, and, you know, but no, I haven't had that kind of opportunity. So that was a very, very cool conversation that we did. Well, I'm glad 
you know, that it was helpful. And I really appreciate you having me. And hopefully I'm really hoping our paths cross more. Yes. Yeah. I, um, again, like I, anytime, like I know for sure I'm going to see that trial that's coming up. I think it's, it's next weekend or something. Yeah. But these are like the times where it's not easy. Just like with you between the dogs at home and the training and the travel and yeah. Oh. I mean, I got a dog returned to me once that um, was trained in French ring and had its one was going to the two. And I was like, I really feel like I should just go on the field with this dog yeah. and learn and experience it. But traveling to the club and making the time to do that was just like, <sighs> I have like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I'm going to start again. And I get to either Mondial 1 or French Ring 2, and, and then I realize with my competitiveness, I cannot just, like I know I can get a title, but I, it's not of interest just to get a title for me. And then that means I need to travel, and I need to invest time and money into another sport, and, and there is just not that much time. It's, it's, this is it's very, very hard. You know, you yeah. dabbled in a lot more. So I'm curious, so like, what I, are you really competing in? What I like about IGP is the that of the roof precision and exposure of the dog to where you you feel like this needle on an open field and there is nobody and you have zero excuses to say, well, that's why my dog or I didn't do it. It's like you just didn't do it. Like your excuses just go out. Um, and the emotions, Howard Judge, um, and everybody now it's so modern to talk about emotions, which is like, but but you know, like when you when you see a dog that you give them a command and they just go, pa pam, and it's like we just like what is next? And then okay, well how about that? Pa pam, and what is next? And you're like. How do you do that? You know? So, but then, but then you have the Belgian ring and, and you have this more kind of solid primitive dogs that are like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to heal that pretty with you. And it's not because they can't. Like I, I've, all of my dogs go back to Belgium, like, like strong Belgian lines. Even, even now I send dogs and I breed there and, and they certainly can have this animation healing and stuff, but it's just not a point in the program. There is a whole different objective. And and then you cannot not appreciate that objective because it's like, well, nothing's happening. He's going to just hit. And when he hits you, we're going to see how he stays there. And, and the decoy is not going to do much, but there will be things happening around. Then you have the French ring, and it's like, man, like, like I mean, just decoying French ring, it's it's cool, and and so yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't say one sport I like better. Like, if you really force me, I would have to go with IGP, obviously, because that's that's what I've been doing for a very long time now. Um. And, and for that particular reason, because, you know, like we both gonna 
tell our dog to sit and we're gonna see who has a better report and which dog gonna perform it better in speed, precision and attitude without the excuses around. But, you know, you have, again, you have PSA, you have Mondi, you have, you have the time, well, let's see how he can handle, can we trick him into failing? Which is a whole different objective and whole different interesting part of, of dog training. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I can never pick a, it's one of those questions that should not, shouldn't <laughs> right. be really asked, you know, but we always ask them. Right. We always ask those. Um, but yeah, that, I, I guess also the, the whole point of doing the tracking and obedience and protection separately, it, it's to the level that it goes into, like you switch gears as a trainer, you know, like w you do tracking and you, you really, it's like, I'm just gonna watch you do your thing. I'm not influencing you. It's like, it, and the whole training goes around being independent, just like any detection stuff, you know, it's like, I'm gonna teach you the skill, but you're on your own here. Do your thing, show me what you know to where you get to the obedience and now it's you and I doing something together in total sync. And um, yeah, protection is always protection, nothing, you know, we all like that part, but um, very hard to, to pick up a sport. I always, like I, I remember when, when I came to the States in California and we, we started the Mondio ring, like most people now that are doing it don't know, but we, I trained the, I think the first Mondio ring dog that went to the world championships at the time. But it, it's just like, a, IGP is a little more like you don't need to, you always need the village, but you need a smaller village for IGP, you know? Like I feel that any, any of the other protection sports, you, because just like you said, you have you have your husband and he's a really good decoy, but your dog needs to see somebody else moving differently, looking at him differently, you know? And that's, that's where it becomes expensive and that's when you need the time and you need to either bring the decoys or you go and, and oh, it's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> anyway. Let's wrap it up. Thank you for doing this. This was awesome. I'm sure, uh, no question, we we will see each other somewhere, some dog competition. We have to. So again, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Janet. Take care. Yep, you too. <laughs>